so the other day I made a tactical um, mistake at work. It wasn't like with a student or anything, but I was talking to uh, the intern. We have an intern. She helps out in the afternoons when she gets off of school, and she uh, like does you know front front desk administrative stuff. Um, and I told her the other day, I I think like the song Kokomo by the Beach Boys came on, mm-hmm. and I had just recently heard that song for the first time somehow. Because uh, you were watching Space Force. No, you're not... like, what a great song. Was that in Space Force? Yeah, Steve Carell sings it. Are you one of four people who has seen all of Space Force? Uh, I mean, Sarah watched it too, so we're half the population. That's two out of four people who watched <laughs> per capita. I think that only leaves one to two more capitas. <laughs> but I told her that I hated Co- the song Kokomo by the Beach Boys. And she said she actually really liked it. And then it kept playing while I was at work. And I assumed, oh, man, I told Catherine I liked this song. And now it's just going to play on the, on the playlist all the time because she added it because she liked it. But it turns out one of the other guitar teachers had overheard me. <laughs> 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 and he had been sneaking into the lobby every time I was in there. And just queuing up Kokomo by the Beach Boys to play every oh, single okay. time he saw me sitting in the lobby. So he would come out and like grab something from the desk, but he wasn't grabbing anything. He was just adding Kokomo to play next. <laughs> and I didn't notice for like a week. I was just like, man, this song is everywhere and it's still bad. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for stopping by the theory behind it. Today, Livy's got a series of questions that will put Pitt, Adam, and I against each other. Um, we've already chatted with each other, so unfortunately, I know the things that are going on in their lives, and I don't know that they want to rehash it, but am I wrong? Livy, Adam, is there something you wanted to bring up again? No, this is why we did the cold open. That's what I thought. <laughs> All right. It was just weird that then you said it in the recording. <laughs> Um, so, Livy's got some questions for us. It's a, Liv- it's a, le- it's a let's argue. Yeah, she's but, gonna, yeah, she's gonna toss us some questions, and we're gonna arbitrarily pick sides and fight over it. We haven't seen the questions. Yes. She told us what the topic was weeks ago, and yes. I don't even remember what it was. So this will yeah, be I was real say, good. I don't, I don't either. This is wonderful. <laughs> the topic is notation. Oh no! Yes, wonderful. I feel like I have a lot of very uh, ignorant but strong opinions about notation, and I don't want to get canceled on the podcast. No, those are the best opinions to have. Um, I originally picked notation just because I was just trying to think of questions in general, because it felt like we had tapped a lot of the debatable music theory questions, and the ones that I first couple I came up with were related to notation, so then I was like, oh, let's see how many I can get, so... Here my strong my strong questions. opinions my strong opinions come from teaching kids music and realizing that like mm-hmm. the number of confusing things I have to explain or that don't make any sense. Then maybe a couple of these will work. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I have any solutions. I just feel a, a great sense of dissatisfaction. I don't know. There's one that's <laughs> very Well, there's a couple that are like, "Huh, why do we do it this way?" that come up when you teach it, but I don't know if they would have come up when you're teaching piano so we'll see we'll see 
Do you, do you, have, you have an odd number of questions? You have five, seven? So I have six, but I'm going to potentially leave out number five. Okay. Um, but I'm kind of, I'm leaving them all as an option in case y'all don't really disagree on one. Okay. And then we could like not count it or something, right, right, but right, I have right. six options. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So let me see. Do I want to do it in the op- in the list in the order that I wrote them? I feel like this Seth is a good starting point. the worst point. man win. I feel oh. like this is a good warm up <laughs> into debate. Okay. Question number one. The basic version of this question is, why do we need the time signature 2-2? Two, two? Why not just leave it at 4-4 four, four? or vice versa? Now to give it a little bit more nuance to the question, slightly a different question, but kind of the same vein. So s- correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're listening to music, you hear the top number in the time signature. You hear the number. Oh, I apologize. Um, well, I mean, you hear the top number. You hear how the many numerator, beats are in a measure. A and then in terms of the denominator, you don't know specifically what number would go there. You only hear if it's simple or if it's compound. But the way that we notate now Simple meter could have a two in the denominator, could have a four, it could have an eight. Compound could also have an eight. Um, compound pretty much just has an eight, but basically what I'm getting at. So like I said, basic question, why do we have two, two? Why not just leave it at four, four? Kind of bigger question in the same vein. What's the point of assigning different note values the beat at all? Why not just make all simple meter based around the quarter note getting the beat? And why not make all compound meter based around the eighth note getting the beat? Like, what's the point of all these different time signatures? What are they bringing to the table other than being confusing? As far as 2-2 two, two goes, it. I think generally I would, I agree with the principle of you're either hearing simple or compound so that you're either hearing the beat in divisions of two or divisions in three, and then... In some greater form than that, it's, you know, it's how many strong or weak beats are in a measure. And there is a very abstract version of do we need that? So I think I think I'm taking the position of um, we don't need to to. Um, mm-hmm. And but let me let Adam jump in here just from an abstract standpoint. Is I'm saying you don't need it. How do you feel about that? I demand that we maintain two two. <laughs> Great. It's the only thing I've ever wanted. <laughs> and I'll tell you why too. Please. <laughs> um, I teach a lot of piano students, and they're not very good at reading music. That's not a knock on them. They're just new. They're learning. They're growing. They're, they, you know, they're expanding their small minds to become big minds. And one of the things that you don't teach kids immediately here is what eighth notes are. You sort of start with quarter notes. You start with half notes. You start with whole notes. Mm-hmm. If we got rid of 2-2, two, two, well, no, let me put it a different way. If you write something in 2-2, two, two, it means that you can have subdivisions that only go down to a quarter note. Mm-hmm. You can use a half note as sort of your your basic building block, and then you can still have faster sections because you're subdividing down to a quarter note. 
rather than having to teach a new symbol, like an eighth note, and trying to get them to count like half beats or in between beats or things like that, you can count everything on the downbeat and still have subdivisions. And so I think that, that even if you just used 2-2 in a pedagogical way for, for early musicians, I think that it is a valuable tool and needs to, to remain in the repertoire. So are Wait, you making are you... a suggestion here that you teach 2-2 before you teach eighth notes? Yes. Because usually you teach but... eighth notes in 4-4 four, four, and then you teach 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, I was going to say. Not how, anymore. How... <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's <laughs> revolutionizing the game. But how would how are you having them count it? Are you just having them count one, two, three, four? For the quarter notes, yes. But doesn't that break the concept of I guess aren't you going against what the subdivision really is? Yeah, I was with you, Adam, but you can't count two two, one, two, three, four. There's only two beats in two two. Don't disclose your position, Liffy. So I'm with you that you understand what quarter notes are before eighth notes, but you you said subdivision. One, two, three, right. four is not subdivision. Mm-hmm. Or do you more mean that... Um, well, they're like half notes. They take up two beats, so you count them for two beats. That's how it works. But for four, eighth note, or for four quarter notes, you would teach one and two and? No, I would count one, two, three, four. But that's not how you count do two. <laughs> but now you're not listening. A half note is two beats, and then not you in would the count time signature quarters. two two. In the time signature two two. Two beats. <laughs> so Adam, you're teaching them four four. I don't understand the point you're making. <laughs> I might not have. How is a half note two beats? In two two. Now, I have noticed how many beats? <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I don't know if I was given the best position for me. To I argue. was with you until you went off the rails. I thought you made a great point about two two as a way to teach subdivision before learning eighth notes, and then you were like, subdivision doesn't exist. It's still just four beats. You're right. It's I would the count same the, as four. No, four. I would count. I would count the quarter notes as one and two and. You're welcome. Okay, we're back. That's all we need. <laughs> okay, that's but... that's called not being able to admit that you're wrong. <laughs> well, I wasn't like, gonna let you make just, that point. We could well, stop right there. I could have just said, "Oh, yeah, sure, you're right." But <laughs> instead, I was like, "No, what if I lie and act like I don't know how to read music?" <laughs> that's a good look. That's the way you want to go on a music yeah. theory podcast. Well, but okay. On on a serious note, like. To me, it two two is not even the problem. It's when you get into things like eight sixteen, uh, mm-hmm. putting sixteen as the lower number of that's what's getting the beat is pointless to me. Um, because two two, I at least get the point of um, publishers probably at some point said, okay, this will save us a little bit of ink if we don't have mm-hmm. to print so many black lines for the subdivision. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not, uh, if you don't have a whole bunch of whole notes, then or something that would have to consistently hold for four beats, then yeah, you can use, uh, like your whole note now becomes the half note. So okay, they're getting the pulse of two beats. Your half note gets the beat. Quarter notes 
are your first level of subdivision, and then your eights would be the second level of subdivision. And so Mm -hmm. you could save some ink that way. Um, But I also know that 2-2 is less about the written note and more about the feeling of the song. So that, um, and surprisingly, uh, Adam didn't bring it up in his... um, point that he was making maybe he'll defend it this way but he was talking about the entertainer with us recently and that he just Mm -hmm. found it in giant quarter notes and then just told the student okay now we're just going to play it a lot faster and so they could Mm -hmm. read the quarter notes that way instead of trying to read okay how do i count 16th 8th 16th and those kind of syncopated rhythms Mm -hmm. but yeah, that you could just, you can shift the time signature however you want, but that cut time is more about that feeling of one and two being here are your two strong beats instead of feeling four individual beats. So my question for you, Seth, I was comparing two, two and four, four, but really what my main question when I think about why does 2-2 exist is why not write it in 4-4? So if it has to do with the feel, what for you gets you a different feel between 2-2 and 2-4? Because it's going to sound the same, so the argument must be that what's on the page gets them to play it differently or conduct it differently. I, I think that's where it would be. Um, I I don't know. I I think I would come down with... 2-4 and 2-2 two, two would be the s- equivalents. Um, I don't think you need 2-2 two, two in mm-hmm. that sense. However, um, you know, and maybe this hurts me a little bit, but I would say that Adam's right that as far as reading purposes, it I do think it's a little easier to read 2-2 two, two just because in 2-4 you would have to get down to 16th notes if you needed that level of subdivision. And it can just get a little notey, whereas in uh, 2-2, sometimes reading eighth notes is a little bit easier on the eye. So do either of you guys see an advantage to 2-2 that isn't pedagogical? Will I Will I get a point if I say yes? <laughs> I just want to know. I'm trying to make a decision, so I'm just trying to ask leading questions. Because, I mean, Adam, you are pro 2-2. So the more yes, reasons, for the pedagogical better. reasons. No, just for pedagogical reasons. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, yes, yes. For I think and, it is very valuable for pedagogical reasons. And Seth, you conceded that myself. point, <laughs> but you said that pretty much otherwise it's the same as two four, right? Or did I miss? Yeah, no, that's right. Because it's not like the time signature affects the tempo in any way. Um, yeah, I don't have some grand historical knowledge that would tell me like, yeah, two, two was used when we, you know, won America back from the Brits. Um, if I did, that would be a great reason back to not abolish. Well, yeah, no, there was definitely, <laughs> some... I, must have, I must have missed one. I'm having a, I'm having trouble. So I did remember that I was judging a debate this time. So from the offset, I've been thinking, okay, put aside the bias, put aside the bias. But like, 
I mean, the two points that you made are like the only two valid points in my opinion. <laughs> and so now I'm just deciding which one is more correct. Um, would either of you like to... Well, so the problem is, Seth, you conceded Adam's entire point. You said, yeah, it's pretty much 2-4, but also it does have pedagogical value. He do be conceding, though. And so, like... Well, I guess. now it's okay. Not, not the <laughs> not the incorrect pedagogical value that Adam was throwing on there. No, <laughs> I misspoke and doubled down on it because I thought I was supposed to always argue. I forgot that occasionally in in a let's argue you can actually let's agree, especially when the host of the debate is trying to guide you towards a reasonable position. Sure. <laughs> Maybe don't argue them there. Uh, I mean, I'm going to give the point to Adam <laughs> just because, like... Because I conceded. Uh, yeah. Um, just because I think if there was any justification for a 2-2, in my mind, that's it. Personally, I would just as soon do everything in 2-4. But I guess point to Adam because I think if there was a reason, in my mind, that is the only reason that you would write something in halves and quarters as opposed to quarters and eighths, and it's because you're teaching it that way. So he brought up the only valid reason for 2-2 in my mind, so point to him. But Seth, you've got time. Yes. You can come back. Seth, this one is more in your lane. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, and this is kind of, I gave them the option to read these questions beforehand. And it was kind of, this was one of the questions I thought that might help y'all to read beforehand, just to think about it. But we'll see how you do. We turned you down. We wanted to preserve the integrity of the let's argue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basic premise of the question is, is our current system of transposing instruments oh, no. the best system? In the sense that just, so this is particularly common in band because in orchestra, the strings are all in concert pitch. The winds, yes, some of them do transpose, but especially sitting in front of a wind band, like a good number of the sections are tra transposing instruments. And so what ends up happening is the pitch that is written in their music is not the concert pitch that sounds because their instruments create a pitch that doesn't match the one on their page. That was a horrible explanation. But so the, the most common reason that I've ever heard for transposition, this may not be the actual reason, but it's what I've always heard, was that transposition became standardized so that people could jump around on two different instruments within the same family and keep the same fingering system. So for example, I play saxophone. I can pick up any saxophone of any size and they all have the same fingerings. So if you ask me to play a G, I can play a G by putting three fingers down in the same place on the same buttons on any saxophone. And that is the note that is written as a G on the page for every saxophone. However, what comes out of the horn, if you're playing an alto, is a concert uh, B flat. If you're playing a tenor saxophone, it's a concert F. So that's what transposition is, and that's the reason, is so that the people playing can move around with ease. But the downfall there is that then whoever is looking at those parts 
has to be able to reverse transpose them back to concert pitch, which Seth, you do more conducting than either of us, but all of uh, most of like the modern wind band scores that I look at include the transposed parts. The score isn't in concert pitch. It includes like the saxophone part as it's written on the page for the saxophone player. So it's going to be in their key instead of in concert pitch. So if you wanted to know like what chord is the whole band spelling here, you have to go through and like reverse transpose all those parts back to concert pitch to figure it out. So there's pros and cons for the players, for the conductors, for the composers when it comes to trans transpose instruments. So what are our thoughts? Are transpose instruments the best way to get around this? Or should we instead ask the players to learn different fingering systems for each you know, instrument so that they can still read it at concert pitch? Maybe using different clefts is an option in there somewhere. What do we think? I have a really dumb question I want to ask. I'm going to cut it out of the show because it's very dumb and I don't want it to no, okay. be held against me in the let's argue. Okay. It's a genuine question. Yeah. When these instruments are playing solo, what? how is their music written? How is it written? Same like, way. So the, like still different. So, different. Yeah. So that like if okay. Libby mm -hmm. goes like and if, plays her Yeah. If you're alto, playing an alto sax, if you're or alto, is that the one you said? Minor mm -hmm. third, transpose. So it's the, the concert. For an alto sax, it's the major... Oh, it's minor third down, major six up. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's still going to be a transposing instrument even when it's playing solo, right? Right. That's not yes. just the band group be ensemble because the whole the whole relationship is from fingering to what's right. written on the page. Right. Yeah, and so okay. that's gotcha. the thing. That's is, I just wanted to, I just wanted any... to clarify that before I mm -hmm. before we got into it. It transposition is all for the ease of the player is pretty much what it comes down to. That's the reason I've always heard, is so that they can always play any instrument in that instrument family looking at the music, and they only have to know one set of fingerings. Yep. Um, now, Seth, I think I could be wrong, but I think like the tuba players in my undergrad, um, they there was like... This, C tuba so, was the most common, but you like would pick up a B flat tuba or something, and like they did learn different fingerings. It, it was yeah, like they read the so same that, music on a different horn. Yeah, so that um, for B flats, traditionally the most common as far as um, oh, high school okay. bands and um, college bands, but once you get into uh, professional playing and upper level playing, that a C tuba ends up being more helpful. And that's the fundamental changes so that instead of being based on B flat, it's now on C. And mm -hmm. the reason a lot of people make that choice is because if you want to go play with an orchestra and they're all tuning to A's, mm -hmm. then having a fundamental that is a half step higher makes it really hard uh, just as mm -hmm. far as tuning goes. Now, there is an argument for you should be a good enough player that you can be in tune with everybody. Um, mm -hmm. But to that, I would say, like, just play on a C-tube and make your life a little bit easier. Don't constantly try to fight this one battle. But yeah, so... So am I correct, though, that the part is... it? You, you still have the same part in front of you and you learn different right. fingers? so the, the tuba mm -hmm. part never changes, but on B-flat, C... E flat and F tubas, they're all different fingerings. Now, once so you, you guys make it difficult on the player, easier well, on the composer, I, I but more difficult. I didn't on the make player. it difficult on myself. 
No, but it's just <laughs> the tuba. The tuba family is the only one that I had ever seen where instead of having transposed parts um, for yeah. each different type of horn in a key, like the tuba players actually learn different fingering sets. And so if you did away with transposed parts, you would essentially ask everyone to do what the tubas did in my undergrad. Yeah, and so um, a difficulty there. Or what the piano players do. Which is what? We have to change fingering when we change keys. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to, st- I just wanted to stick up for us. <laughs> but yeah, the the difficulty for us as far as learning the new fingers isn't necessarily it's that hard that the fingers changed, um, but the fundamental of the instrument has changed. So where you're thinking about where that partial is and, you know, possibly for the new listener that's jumping in or somebody that doesn't know that much about brass, the way the instrument is set up is... You have a fundamental tone that the instrument is based on. If you have a string, a wire, a tube, however long it is, that is the lowest note you can play. It is not possible to play something that's lower than that length. And mm-hmm. so the in- the brass instruments are all based around just shortening that, except the way we do it is either you can make it a little bit longer by adding tubing by pressing a valve and adding on the tubing that you have to make your fundamental tube longer or if you make your mouth smaller then you can play higher notes changing what we call partials and so Mm -hmm. there's the primary like first eight partials that you can use that most people would play on there's a whole bunch you can always make your mouth smaller so you can always play higher than eight Um, but things get weird up there but as far as looking at the music, when you play on a B-flat tuba, like a strange thing going from B-flat to C, B-flat tubas, B-flat's the fundamental, so B-flat, F, B-flat, D, F would be the first couple of partials that you're playing. And so that's where you're used to centering your note. But now if you switch to C, you have to get used to shifting that fundamental with your lips just a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. And so that shift from a B flat to a C can kind of throw you for a loop occasionally. And when you're trying to center your lips on a certain note, you can press, if you're pressing a valve down and you're thinking, oh, I should be in this partial when really it's not, that can kind of mess with what's happening. And so that's a difficulty of the, like, just learning a new system of, it's not really learning a new system, but I guess And that's specifically a brass, another level onto it that's brass specific, because in my head, I was thinking about it at saxophone, in which case, it is just learning different fingerings. Right, like So it's even more difficult when you go into the brass side of things. Right, so that, like, the A clarinet, or the, you know, soprano sax, or E flat sax or B flat that all of those you're just using mm-hmm. the same fingering system you right. just were given a new part on the music. But I would say like I, I could be wrong but it seems it's kind of split half and half. Like there are a lot of woodwinds who transpose, but there's also a lot of brass, horn, tuba, trumpet. Right. right? Trumpet trumpet Everyone else transposes. is in C in a typical wind band, but trumpet is in B flat. Mhm. Tuba it depends on which one you're playing. Um well, and then it's still horn written is an F. in concert pitch. It's still written in concert. Okay. Right. And then um, 
horn is F. So you'd be asking half of the people, if you wanted to do away with the transposition, this the way we do it now, you'd be asking all of those people to get used to the embouchure adjustment on top well, of the fingering and adjustment. So um, on French horns, um, and then I'll let Adam jump in here and tell us you know, why as a singer and a pianist, transposition doesn't matter. <laughs> um, that like uh french horn if you're playing a double horn meaning basically you're playing the b flat tuba and an f tuba at the same time there are two different fundamentals on that instrument mm -hmm. so that when you french horns have the three buttons and then a trigger to shift the fundamental of the horn and so mm -hmm. like that can be a challenge that if you're playing that double horn and you know, oh, I could play, let's say, A this way, but if I shift to the other fundamental, I can also play A this way. And so they're not, they're still reading a transposed part, but even when they shift the fundamental, they're not all of a sudden reading different notes, if yeah. that made any sense. It did. And I also, kind of along the same lines, I was thinking back, really, who this question would most affect it's not necessarily trumpets or horns as much as it is instruments where there are common different sizes. That's basically what the question is getting at because it's really for those people. Cause if it was like a horn player, the, the standard is pretty much going to be that F and then you could use the trigger to go into B flat. Yeah. But the thing is you're, you're just playing that one instrument pretty much. And so if we teach from the ground up that this fingering, instead of being an F, is actually a G or whatever it would be. Um, that wasn't right, but you know what I mean. We just rename the notes of the fingerings. The The problem isn't quite as much as it is, for example, for a tuba, you have to learn new fingerings when you switch b between the two horns. For a saxophone, for a clarinet, for um, the double reeds when they switch, um, you would have to learn an entire new set of fingerings. Right. So it's kind of more so aimed at them. Because yeah. if, if we did away with the transposition, we would have to, to just change the way that we taught, like trumpet. It would just be, instead of this fingering being this this note, it's actually that note. But it's going to stay that note, because you just pretty much play the one size trumpet. Yeah. Um, Which, Adam, I know we've said a lot. I have uh, yet to uh, actually take a formal position. It's true. Um, so, I'm sure you've been waiting for my equally knowledgeable argument to come first. Oh, but but I am prepared to go either way. As I did go first last <laughs> time, I would I would like you to present either you know perspective you want. Um. <laughs> well, it's pretty much it comes I, down to I just I don't I I'm not a band person and I should be more knowledgeable. I've understood most of this, which is which is a great start for me. Uh just my my instant my immediate temptation is to to dunk on band people. Uh but I shouldn't do that. Well, um, there's a lot of band people that are in the same boat as you though, where they don't have to transpose when they play. Right. And so yeah. they would be in the same boat as you. Like if you got in front of a band, um, you can conduct, you know how to read music, you know what the mm -hmm. instruments are to the point where you would know how to read the score in front of you, yeah. even if you're missing the nuances. But so then for you, who you don't deal with transposing instruments as a keyboard player, you transpose, but your instrument doesn't transpose. Um, looking at that score, you'd have like four different key signatures on there. 
Right, yeah. So yeah. the question is kind of, are we expecting the composer to handle this situation, or are we should we instead ask the players? Like, where should the burden be? Should it be on the composers or conductors, kind of both, or should it be on the players? And the, um, just as you think, the only alternative that I could come up with, because once I started thinking about this, I couldn't stop, potentially, we'd have to bring a lot of old clefs out of the dust. Um, but in, in theory, you could use clefs to go along with each instrument in a family. So the clef changes. But my thinking here is if you use different clefs, you could still have the same fingering assigned to a given line or space on the page. And in that way, you can still automatically read the music that's in front of you. But the thing is, the note you're playing would be named something else because the clef is different, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like the second line, instead of being G, is now an E. But you can I'm still gonna... read it just as quickly because G is still the same fingering as E. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe in a shock I'm gonna say transpositions are good and they should stay. Woohoo! I don't I don't mind making it easier on these players, especially if I mean if you if you think about musicians, a lot of musicians do pick one instrument and they'll just stick with one instrument and get really good at that one thing. But lots of musicians have to switch between lots of different instruments. And if you become like a teacher or like a studio professor or teacher or instructor of some kind, you need to know how to do lots of stuff. And so if we can make it easier for one person to be able to do lots of stuff, that makes sense to me. Cool. So, Adam, you are team player. Yeah. You want to make it easier on the players, I like the more accessible for them. Yeah. And because, and on the other side, the obstacle is people like me who aren't in band or who don't, you know, read or play transposing instruments. I just have to learn how to do it. I had to memorize all the transpositions yeah. and all the instrument families and things like that. Yeah. But now I know, and like that's it. Like I just, I just had to learn it, and now I know it, mm -hmm. and it's fine. My life is not impacted a great deal by having to learn more information to be able to make sense of this. It's way harder for these, for the musicians, for the players to have to switch between different, like learning how to play different instruments on top of mm -hmm. playing different instruments proficiently, as opposed to me just being able to read music like in my brain different right well and and like i get that but my issue would oh be boy, this guy <laughs> you of course know that the reason that like saxophones have the fingering system that they have is based on it's the same fingering system from the flute that's also the same fingering system for the clarinet so mm -hmm. that a lot of those concert pitches line up so that mm -hmm. You know, or sorry, not the concert pitches, but G on the saxophone is the same as G on the um, flute. It's the one, two, line thumb, and space one, two, match up to the fingering is what you mean, basically. Like G on the staff, you finger it the same way on all those instruments. Right. Yeah. Um, and like clarinet on the upper register, um, mm -hmm. it's the same. You know, it ends up being the flute fingering system even though the first system that you're learning in the lower register, you're playing a C, not a G, but like it's it all, all related. Right. And so yeah. it's all kind of a historical, like at some point the instruments did for manufacturing processes and other things, they just made them that way. But 
there's no reason that we can't shift the instruments. Like, I guess what blows my mind is on a violin, is there any real reason that we can't lengthen the violin ever so slightly so that, or shorten it so that A becomes B flat? Like, is, mm-hmm. is that a ridiculous concept? Because, I don't know, in my head, it's just, okay, if you wanted to play, like, everybody's in tune with concert B flat, you could have strings do that, just shorten the string, the neck of the instrument ever so slightly and let it become a part of that. Like, there's no reason that we don't have that technology available to us to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, I'm pro conductor of, in a situation like mine where, you know, I'm working full time, working after school, doing other things that the skill to sit there, analyze the score. And like, if you are a symphony director, there's really no reason that you don't have the time to look at the score, analyze it and figure out the transpositions that you need to, when you need to ask you know, somebody to change something. But as far as looking at a score, like, okay, if I need to figure out, is that note the third of the score? Is it the fifth or of a chord? Is it the third? Is it the fifth? Is it a seventh or a suspended note that that becomes very hard to read when I'm looking at a flute that doesn't transpose three lines of clarinet that are transposing alto sax, which is transposing in a different way than the clarinets then a tenor sax, which is transpo- transposing like the clarinets, but really, even though it's in treble clef, it's supposed to be in bass clef, or it sounds in bass clef, so it's sounding down a ninth, or, yeah, it's something. But now, mm-hmm. now, It's Seth, a ninth, you're right. I, I, I don't want to interrupt, but yeah. you are saying that it is complicated and it's difficult and some people don't have the time, but you did just rattle off all those transpositions because <laughs> you know them. <laughs> So you might be a busy man, but you know it. I mean, I know so... what they do. I don't actively. I mean, I do, guys. You know, I am a superb musician. But um... but if your but if your argument is that it is a pain for for uh, for non like top level music people like like yourself because you're not you know you're not the the Met or something like that. I mean, these days might be a good thing. You're, you're uh, talking to the guy that was playing tenor saxophone while reading alto saxophone music, Adam. Like, yeah, but I guess my my not to discredit any of your many accomplishments, <laughs> but if your your argument is that it is hard and that you can do it very well, <laughs> let's not stretch very well. <laughs> it's not that. It's just I've I've often thought why. Like when I'm sitting in front of a band and I'm telling them you're playing this note, but I'm also getting calling out concert, whatever. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to put concert in front of that? Why couldn't we just move to a system where I'm saying, okay, everybody play B flat. And then the room would be filled with a sonorous B flat. Like, you know, because Right now, it's like, okay, play concert B-flat. Saxes, you got Gs. Clarinets, you got Cs. Trumpets, you also have Cs. Like, you have to check and remind everybody instead of you could just teach this is B-flat, and then when you're reading it on the score, it would just be B-flat, and it would be a lot... It would be a time saver in some regards. 
Seth, do you think that there would be any negative impact in, um, like, just for right now, for example, um, you typically start students off on alto saxophone. I'll just use that as as an example. That's typically your starting size because it's not a soprano because who has like five sopranos, but it's small. So like a middle schooler can handle it well. Well, most people also don't hate themselves, so soprano would be a lot to handle. That would be a lot for a middle school band director to deal with. (laughs) Then, once you get into later middle school or high school, then you say, hey, I need a tenor saxophone. Would you be interested in playing this? Do you think there would be a negative impact in that regards of sometimes you do need to move students around? um, And with transposing instruments, it's pretty easy. Um, do you think that the benefit of, you know, what you were describing for the conductor and the ease of just having a rehearsal where you don't have to deal with the verbiage of transposition, do you think those benefits outweigh the additional requirements put on students to say, hey, I need a tenor saxophone. Are you interested in learning a whole new set of fingerings? Well, which I get, but I think the the problem for me uh is when i was playing a jazz band and i was playing trombone so yes i went from one non-transposing instrument to another non-transposing instrument but Mm -hmm. um in some ways i wasn't really learning a new instrument i wasn't appreciating Mm -hmm. that it was in fact a different instrument with a different fundamental and other things that I had to learn and embrace about the trombone. I was still in a lot of ways trying to play tuba, but up an octave and do things like that. And there's just different Mm -hmm. things about the trombone. You know, there's the conical Mm -hmm. versus cylindrical, uh, you know, it has a much brighter sound. the entire mechanics of it. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, it's not as extreme going from alto to tenor, but, you know, especially if you went alto to berry, there's there's a whole lot that you have to do with your amateur um, because your mouthpieces are changing a little bit. The reed's going to get a little bit bigger, a little bit wider. And so there are certain characteristics that if you're still thinking, you know, I can just pick this up and play it because it's an alto sax, uh, it's the alto sax fingering. There's, I think, a lot that you have to get into as far as this is a different instrument. And so I think in some ways it might benefit the student to kind of briefly go back to step one of an instrument and say, okay, let me really get into how do I play these first couple of notes? How do I understand this? And embrace that it's a new instrument, not just, yeah, I'm playing like a giant version of an alto sax. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that if a student has to relearn how to play a new instrument in all of its own different intricacies and complexities, wouldn't it be easier if they already had a step up by being able to play the same fingering? Um, Yeah, but I'm a curmudgeon who doesn't like the current system of instant gratification. (laughs) I see. I rest Any other points? I mean, ones Um, that'll hurt me. I'm gonna award the point to Seth. What? Yay. I know it was kind of Adam. You were at a disadvantage not being a band person. I know, but mostly that last point that Seth made really sold me. I really like that idea. I hadn't. It hadn't occurred to me. Um, 
And, you know, neither of you said it specifically, but the you're learning a new set of fingerings, but then again, you're not. The set of fingerings is still the same. They're just named differently. So, like, you can still run every single scale on a saxophone. Right. Even if, you know, having six fingers down is no longer a D, it's now a G, or whatever it became, you know? You can still run that scale with playing the exactly correct notes in a given major scale based off the fingerings you learn. It's just different names. So, it's not exactly ground zero. So, um Right, it's. I'm it's sure. More I'm sure most I people would agree do. with Adam that they don't want to learn it. But then again, it's not entirely learning it from the ground up. But I just really liked your last point, Seth, of learning a new fingering. Kind of you, it forces you to really approach it as a unique instrument, which I think would be really good for people who are like switching around in high school or middle school, especially because once you hit undergrad, you are getting better at your instrument. And like the technical sides of things in terms of like the embouchure, your tone, all that stuff. And it does make it easier to jump around. But like in high school, I played alto saxophone as my primary instrument. And like, yes, I could play tenor and berry, but I sounded like crap because I just wasn't a good enough saxophone player. Whereas if I had had to start from the ground up, like I would have had to think about it more rather than like you were saying, I play alto so I can just pick this up and do it. Because they are unique even though they're the same the family they're same saxophones they are different so i like that sorry yeah. adam and um <laughs> just for somebody out there that's interested and is bad at score reading because there are a whole bunch of different scales going on um you should embrace movable dough and if you know your movable dough mm-hmm. really well then like outlining a chord no longer really becomes a problem because even if I if I'm dealing with the C major and trumpets are in D, if I know movable do, then I'm just thinking of the D scale. Okay, what note is that in the D scale? Okay, F sharp. So that would be me, do and me. Okay, I'm outlining. Like even if I know the tubas have a C. When I see C in the tuba part and I see F sharp up there in the trumpet part, I know that's the third. I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily having to think, okay, F sharp is an E up. Like, yeah. Or you so. just do it by year. There's that option too. But music theory Twitter told me that Soulfish is made up and bad. Oh, Look, music, music theory Twitter is wrong. I would love to know what music theory Twitter does to sightseeing. Also, isn't everything made up? Isn't that what we're learning about NFTs is it's just made up and does it last long enough for it to become a thing? Listen, I've scrolled past like 50 think pieces on NFTs successfully. (laughs) I still don't know what the deal with them is. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm in the same boat. I I, I am aware that they exist, that they are popping off, but I am like, ah, they'll be gone soon. bad somehow, but I'm good. Ah, whatever. One to one. I'm ready for question three. Okay, our next question it's kind of the trolliest. It's one of the first ones I came up with, and it's just kind of a hard opinion of mine. So pretty much either you're going to reinforce my opinion to the point that I agree with you, or you prove me wrong, and I give you the point then. So my opinion is that double dots are dumb. Just they're dumb. Either you could replace them with ties, or they just don't need to exist in the instance that you have like a double dotted eighth followed by a 32nd. If you're giving it to a wind instrument, 
it's going to sound like a dotted eighth sixteenth. Just make it a dotted eighth sixteenth. If you're giving it to a percussionist, yes, they could do that. But then again, do they need to? Why can't it just be a dotted eighth sixteenth? And better yet, why not just make it a quarter note and then put a grace note going into the next note? I just think that double dots are dumb. Explaining them to students is dumb. I just don't like them. Who wants to prove me wrong? I mean, again, Adam, I'm I'm prepared to let you take the lead. I have just a math question. (laughs) A math question? Yeah. What is a half of mm -hmm. a I just want to confirm, if you have a double dot Mm -hmm. quarter note, that's two and a fourth beats, right? A double dot quarter note is a quarter plus an eighth plus a sixteenth. Oh, half of the previous? Yes, it's stupid. It's 175%. Of the original note. It's so, stupid. But for, not half of a dotted eight, dotted quarter. For those at home that no. may not look at dots or double dots, um, dot adds the value of half of whatever's before it. So when you add mm-hmm. the second dot, you're now adding half of a half. So you mm-hmm. would add a total of three-fourths. That was yes. one half plus All right, one then yeah, they're done. I wasn't ready to go out on that hill until just now, but yes, they, they are dumb. They are dumb. I'm so glad to welcome you into this community. <laughs> I want to confirm for the people, because I'm sure that I'm just coming across very poorly in this episode. I knew that at some point. I just wrote down on the page and did the math wrong, but yeah, that that was unfamiliar. It's been a minute since I've seen it. Well, you never see them either. Yeah. Are you sure then, your conviction's not <laughs> so strong that you have written them off completely as existing? I mean... Not unlike <laughs> NFTs. If that's <laughs> my conviction, is partly because I don't ever see them. <laughs> like it's not, it's a real chicken and the egg situation here. Yeah, I mean, occasionally you do rarely see them, but like they exist. And the most common way I see them is as that we want a dotted eight sixteenth one a two, but we want it to be extra dramatic, so we're gonna make it a double dotted eighth and then a thirty second. But the thing is, wind instruments can't execute that. So, unless it's at a slow tempo, but it never is. And then a double dot on a long note is just almost worse. Because then you have to actually do the math as you're playing it instead of just using a tie. So, Seth, now it is down to you to prove me wrong. And oh, to sell Adam, me on double is dots. Adam's whole point? He agrees. <laughs> yeah, they're dumb. I, I mean, I did kind of give an opinion. Like, I have hard, I have hard opinions on this one, so I did okay. make a stance for him, kind of. So, just for everybody, you know, pulling back the curtain, um, Livy and I already had a debate this week, and I already know that Livy's smarter than me, so I didn't feel good going out on that limb, but I felt conviction, but... I feel even more conviction about this that we need double dots <laughs> because and it's for that exact reason that you need to get used to like it's a very specific measurement in time and you know what I instantly think of is that um, French style that was in the early 1600s. Mm-hmm. that or 1700s one of the two you need to get used to where that is now as far as long notes go sure i get it except um if there's like if you had a quarter note that was double dotted and then you have a 16th note going to another quarter note or mm-hmm. a half note whatever it is that 
looking at the notation, you should understand that that half note is going to be happening on three, and you're more reading the 16th before it than you are the double dot anyways. Yeah, that's not too bad. It's when you get into open notes that are dope, double dotted that I'm just like, just use ties. But you're right, the, the double dotted quarter you do see in that French style. I kind of forgot about that one. Yeah, that but I there. guess like a half note that was double dotted you're only going to have an eighth note at the end of it. Yeah, but it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not that big a deal. I mean, what time signature are you in where that becomes a problem? Because, like, in 4-4, four, four, there's the only, if there's a half note with a double dot, the only other note that could be in the measure is an eighth note. Yeah, but I just think that that's lazy notation. I mean, sure, but I I think that most notation comes out of being lazy. <laughs> What's the most effective way to communicate this to people? Um, I mean, I think if you want to have something that does the same thing, you should just use a new sign. We need a new sign. Or like Livy said, like a tie. You want a triangle? Well, the reason I like tie notes is because, so I had two points. One, you would just do away with a double dot that creates a note that's too short that you can play it. So in those instances, you don't do anything. You just take that out and replace it with something more realistic. But in the long notes you replace it with ties. And the reason I like ties in those long notes is because it shows you where beat three is. I'm specifically thinking in four, four, but in mm -hmm. four, four, you want to be able to see where beat three is unless you have a whole note or a dotted quarter. But if it's something like a double dot, I think that that just is confusing to visually look at because your eye wants to know where beat three is. And if you have a dotted half note, your eye kind of knows that that dot is beat three if that makes sense, but double dotted mm -hmm. is just ridiculous. I don't. But so prove. yes, that you could do things to like ties and other things. So let, you know, going back to the score reading part that the sex, you know, if you're just reading alto one and you have ties to show you where the note is great, that did make your life a little bit easier and you might be able to follow the conductor a little bit more but on the conductor score you know if they're if they put both alto parts on a single line to kind of conserve space and now you want them to add in these ties all over the place i just think it ends up crowding up the page when a double dot helps keep things a lot cleaner mm -hmm. because again like if i was looking at a double dotted half note all that's going to be in that is I will see the chord stacked on count one, and then on the last eighth of the measure, there'll be an eighth note with the chord stacked up on that. And so it's just a lot cleaner presentation instead of a half note tied to a quarter note, tied to an eighth note, and then another eighth note, which of course now those eighth notes are connected by their beam, and so it just becomes messy, let alone if you were mm -hmm. going to do it at the double dotted quarter note level, then you have the quarter note tied to an eighth that's tied to a that's tied to a sixteenth, and you have to beam the sixteenth and the eighth note correctly. And then you have that last sixteenth, you know, double beam to the one before it. And so it just all of a sudden becomes a very messy process when you could add the second dot, and there's a very specific moment in time where that happens. Yeah, I mean. That is an advantage. It's cleaner. And don't even get me started on double dotted eighth notes. That would be just disgusting looking at it on a page. 
Yeah, but we don't even need or, those sorry, either. Sorry, <laughs> like a tied value of a double dotted eighth note. I agree. I don't think we need those. We shouldn't just write hard rhythms. I mean, we might need them if we were in like two eight. <laughs> band rhythms. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Did you say band rhythms? Band rhythms. Straight tones and harmony. It's all about it's all about the verticality, baby. You never change notes. <laughs> you just have them. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like this question shouldn't count. Probably not. Because <laughs> that's just because you don't want to award. The me burden was point. on whoever was going to unconvince me, and Seth, you didn't unconvince me. And I don't feel like that's a fair debate <laughs> question. <laughs> you're just yeah. upset because you felt like I made a compelling point. You no, you're wrong. <laughs> I just feel like that's not fair to be like, no, Seth, that's incorrect. But the point would go to Adam, but I feel like we can't use this question. So maybe we go through all of them and we see where we're at then. All right. Okay. But I have Adam tentatively written in. This next question, I think, is much more up both of your alleys. I don't know what sides you would pick, but question number four, is our common Western notation system lacking when it comes to timbre? Should we have standardized tam uh, t- timbral notation? Should we incorporate it more frequently in places that it's not incorporated right now because again i could be wrong i'm just going off my own experience in band conducting and in playing saxophone but pretty much you don't see that much notation regarding timbre outside of like more modern pieces that use extended techniques at which point there's not so much a standardized notation for a lot of the stuff. The composer is kind of creating symbols. They're explaining what they mean in the score notes. And then they're like using text a lot to write in exactly what they're looking for. So would it help to have standard symbols for certain things? Um, would it help in general, even in like doing editions of like romantic symphonic works, if we were to add in like more specific expectations for a given passage in regards to timbre and we notate that instead of just leaving it up to the performer like what are your thoughts in terms of timbre and notation as we see it now yes we should more timbre more timbre i think think we should have standardized timbre what do you think i think some of it should be and some of it should be sort of up to the composer in the same sense that i think that it should follow some of the way that we already prescribe expressionistic things we have some articulation and expression symbols in music currently we also have some instructions that are written in of how to play things and so Mm -hmm. say the difference between like an accent marking or a legato slur versus like you know vivace or something like that Uh, Mm -hmm. we can have notation we can have descriptions you when you get into the 20th century you can get some really weird uh instructions like all of uh what's his name sati all of like the sati like play like a boy egg boiled on your head or something like that you know like you can do that <laughs> stuff sort of as well and so i'm not saying it needs to be silly but there, i think that there there can and should be some uh some notational instructions for timbre i think that you could also have more uh expressionistic and de- descriptive um uh like text about timbre as well i think that a partnership of both would be really great what do you think about the relationship between composer intention and performer interpretation in terms of timbre is that limiting the performer in any way no 
because we already limit the performer by the rhythms that they're allowed to play or the articulation that they're supposed to use or the... Mm -hmm. I mean, we already tell them what notes to play. The composer. The composer already tells them what notes to play. The composer tells them what rhythms to play, uh, what octave to play in, and like I said, some of those articulation expression things. It tells it tells the performer what accents to play it with and performance directions and things like that. So there's no more... It wouldn't be any more... Pres- to prescribe timbre wouldn't be any more prescriptive than any of the notation that we already have. Also, mm-hmm. a lot of performers just ignore that stuff anyway. You're not wrong. Um, you see, I think that's where I do disagree that... Um, I think one, yes... There could be some more descriptive things, and especially as we get into the 20th century, there could be more of a standardized, here's how we're notating the sounds that we would like to hear. Um, but I, I think we have a fairly good between articulation markings and the random Italian words that we've chosen. I think there are good descriptions out there, but I think that part of what somebody should appreciate about a professional musician is that they are the embodiment of several things. They are the um, composer's ghost in a way. They are the historian. They are the music theorist as well as the performer. And it's the combination of all of those aspects where they are analyzing the music. They're thinking about how... Am I playing this how I think it would have been played in the 1700s? Am I playing this how it would sound today on a modern instrument? Um, You're thinking about composer intent to the best of your ability, whether you have some sort of source work that tells you this is how, you know, Mozart or Beethoven or Schubert or Scott Joplin would have wanted this played, you know, that all of those things are coming together. And that's what's beautiful about being a performer, that you get to think and experience all of those things. Whereas if we're making it easier to digest on the performer and not letting them experience all those things, I think you're taking something away from um, the ability of, not the ability, but the, the moment because think about the voice when they uh, the, the voice being the show or you can think of American Idol or whatever hit NBC show you want that yeah, yeah same thing <laughs> <laughs> that when when they sing those songs they aren't analyzing the song and thinking about what was the purpose of singing it this way or in this they are just here's a list of what you should do and how to sing the song and they're going out there and a lot of times it's a flat karaoke song mhm sure they're the one aspect that they might be bringing their voice is kind of interesting uh for some it might even be mesmerizing but there's often the person that knows the song well enough to embody it and do something with it. And so I think if we go too far with standardizing um, here's timbre and how to play the song, that you're limiting musicianship, which is an important skill that I think we can't take away. I I would just say back to that, though, is that Almost every, if you, I know you were talking about more pop music in, in that regard, 
But if you think about classical music, even pieces that haven't had like written down prescribed ways of playing them have had like each era has its own idiomatic performance style. You have people who have researched and studied how songs of the Baroque period would have been performed or how how Mozart would have played one of his piano sonatas, things like that. Um that whether or not it's written into the music, which at that time would have partially been to like save money on, on printing and publishing by not putting in extra notes or text, there already were prescriptive styles of how to perform something. And if you go listen to, you know, various collections of like one person performing all of the well-tempered clavier or something, you're going to find each version is has uniquenesses and has differences to it and has different modes of expression. And so I think that, that to say that you're going to lose musicianship or lose expression by dictating how it has to be played, I, I just don't think that's accurate. Well, I understand it's prescribed, but that's asking, in a sense, you want, instead of more individuality in the musicianship, you would like more uniformity. And But I, just, I don't, I mean, but part of it is that I don't think you're going to get it. I think people are still going to do their own thing anyway. I mean, because they suck. No, just because nobody likes to be told what to do. And so my, my argument is partially from the perspective that uh, classical music has not paid enough attention to timbre, and that we should pay more attention to timbre, but that it's still going to be up to musicians to actually follow through and follow those performance instructions, which, based on the performers that I know, could be incredibly unlikely. So, <laughs> so essentially the stance we've taken is... I think that there are enough great musicians out there that we're okay not changing the notation out there. And your position is there are so many bad musicians out there that we should change it to aid them. No, that's not what I said at all. I'm saying that timbre is is a part of the piece that a composer could have an opinion on and could write down. And that just like any other part of, of prescribed written music, the performer doesn't have to pay attention to it. I could play if I were, you know, I I keep speaking from piano because that's my my instrument. But like I could play a piece with tons and tons of rubato even though it's not written down to play it like that. And that would be an expressionistic choice that I make. Right? I could I could extend out phrases, I could hold things out, I could make some sections faster. And some people might think it's in poor taste or that it's not accurate to how the piece is supposed to be played, but it's my decision. I'm the performer, I express it, I articulate it. And so if a, if a composer wanted to write down, this is what timbre I intended or I would play it with, that doesn't mean anybody else who gets a copy of that music and learns it is going to do it that way themselves. So I'm saying that by giving more tools, more information about the piece, and by paying attention to something that a lot of classical music hasn't paid attention to, that's a good thing. And that the freedom still comes from the fact that performers don't pay attention to performance instructions anyway. But you would rather have it in, like, the primary material mm-hmm. being the score instead of the composer writing something like a book or something that was, you know, here's the Yes, I think that musical instruction this. should be in the music. Is that what you want me to say? I, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily dogging you on that. I was just saying like that information is out there. I think I feel that like. you know, and I'll I'll add this as a, uh, 
I've I've come around. Seth's changed my mind. I think that writing rhythms down, notating rhythms in your compositions, I think is totalitarian. I think it's a dictatorship. I think you should write an essay that comes with the music about the sort of vibe, about the sort of rhythms that the that the composer wants the piece to have, but that it also comes with a a license uh, from like ASCAP or something that gives you permission to perform it however you want. In fact, I think I don't even know if they should prescribe pitch. I don't know if pitch should be notated. I think that it should I be think a separate that, book that, they that all scores should be a series of <laughs> interval vectors, and it's up to you to express those interval vectors in any octave or performance that you want. Now, hold on, because if we do the interval vector thing, then we actually, I think, solve the transposition question from second. Like, if everybody <laughs> just had, here's the interval vector that you're playing. You just have a bunch of one through eleven. Oh, sorry, one through nine, and then like was it T E zero? Yeah. All right. What okay. do you think, Louie? Point to Adam. Thank you. <laughs> just good, good points. Both good points. Um, I was sold by the argument that yes. People do need to have room for interpretation, but people are already already choosing interpretation when performance practice already exists. And if you choose to look it up, you would know that you were making an interpretive choice versus playing it as it was intended. So the information is always out, already out there. Um, like, have you guys heard Lynn Gould play back? I have not. Huh? It's wild. So there you go. You have the Glen Goals. They know they're making an interpretive choice, even if it's not written in the score. So we might as well write it in the score so that you know. Yeah, he just play, he plays it like class. tempos that nobody else plays at, and then he has this funny thing where he'll like hum along with all the music and like. <laughs> yeah. and so you can hear recordings of him like reacting to his own playing. It's hilarious. Yeah, and that's um, fun. I like that. Just like being able to transpose on the spot, um, like we can expect out of musicians that have gone to college. Um, it's not necessarily that the adults that play musicians can't figure out all those things, but for like students that are learning, you know, an eight year old, mm -hmm. if they had, hey, play this like, you know, a bunch of butterflies, that might help them figure out, okay, how is this supposed to sound better than. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got some staccatos. Ah. <laughs> like really aggressive. <laughs> really aggressive butterflies. Killer butterflies. Meadow. Murder um, Okay, question number five. We're leaning a little pedagogy here. Are there appropriate crutches for students when they learn notation? I've heard arguments for both that... that that you should learn to read what's on the page without writing anything in, in terms of counts, letter names, subdivisions. You need to learn to just read it as it's on the page. I've heard other people say that what's the harm in writing in a subdivision? It helps you learn. It helps you know what is correct instead of learning it by ear. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a great question because, like, I have... You know, I teach fourth graders right now, but I teach high schoolers. We've all taught at college, and it's just, it's hard to know what's too much of a crutch or what is it, because I had some 
um, fourth graders that we were learning recorder notes and other things. And it started with giving the, the full staff. So it's treble clef, they have five lines, four spaces, but then the quarter notes that we were playing had the, um, in white, the letter written on the note. And so they mm-hmm. weren't, they didn't have to write in G next to it or something or under mm-hmm. it. They knew that, okay, there's G and I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just got to a point where once we got to like the third or fourth page of this book and they want to try to go away from that, which they wanted the students to write in their letter names which was great, except I needed to preserve these books because I didn't want to spend money on buying new books. So, mm-hmm. you know, shame on me. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I was shortcutting part of the pedagogical <laughs> approach, but on they only wanted them to write the notes in for one or two more lines. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like it was going to last that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was teaching them, even though they had the letter name right, wrote, written, written in that they were reading the letter not the note and where it Mm -hmm. was relationship on the staff and but then on the next page that's when they ran into trouble because they weren't reading where it was on the staff and applying that but we would say the note name and move our fingers on the recorder to try to establish Okay, when you see a G, this is what you need to do with your fingers, and that way the right note will come out. And we even, we don't sing because singing's bad. However, I do model <laughs> on pitch. Well, singing's bad during COVID, but I do mm-hmm. model on pitch, and they just so happen to also, when they say the note name, pitch it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's singing, but not singing. So you've gone for like singing. auditory cues rather than yeah visual yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've done. Can I say some? Can I say yeah, some I was, crutches are good? Well, Adam, I wasn't even thinking about the keyboard version of this with you guys playing multiple notes from the get-go. In my head, it was like one well, note Well, not from the get-go, crutches. I'll tell you that. What, you're not doing left <laughs> and right hand at the same time? I start them in middle C position, and we just practice playing C with our thumbs. When their thumbs accidentally hit, I yell at them. <laughs> yeah, Adam, what do you do? I was going to say that uh, I think that um, crutches for notes bad. They got to be able to read the staff. If well, if you want if you want to teach somebody to read music, they need to start just working on reading the notes. Writing the note names in is not helpful. It will not help them in the long run, and it will make them worse musicians. Mm-hmm. But However, oh, I was going to say that for rhythms, I think that actually writing in rhythms can be very helpful. And that that one I have no issue with whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But as far as notes go, like in piano, sometimes we get into um, what they refer to as pre-reading. So that instead of putting the notes on a staff, you may have whole notes that still move up, um, but they just have like, or whole notes that have C, D, and then E. And you see them physically moving up on the page, but there's no line or space associated with it. How do you feel about that? So that you're getting like used easier to... easier books? Yeah. So that, you know, uh, where 
possibly a four, five, or six-year-old, although even six is maybe a little old. Yeah. Well, all the stuff that I do is is on the staff. I don't use anything like that. I don't use anything with just like notes higher than lower than each other. Some of the bo- other books that other teachers use have like the the notes with the letter names inside of the note heads, mm-hmm. and they they move vertically up and down as they would on the staff, but without a staff. Um, I don't use any of those. I also I don't have any students quite that young. I think my youngest is like six, so I can sort of yeah. just go with like a, a large staff, you know, like a large print friendly staff and and roll with that um but i do tell my students that they don't always have to know what a note is they just need to follow the steps well what are those steps well i mean literally if it steps up or steps down on the Oh, okay not like instructions i mean like (laughs) i tell them like the staff you know the the musical staff it's like a staircase and your notes are going to step up or they're going to step down especially a lot of the stuff that we do uh, has a lot the books that i use has a lot of step stuff before it ever gets into skips right and even then it only goes to skips of a third which makes sense um so and so you're... i tell them for a while you don't have to know what every single note is to play it all you have to do is follow am i going a step up am i going a step down and if you can tell whether you're moving up or down with the steps and you could play it. Then I also say, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what these notes are. I'm not saying that. Don't get it twisted. I want you to know what the notes are. But that to play this, you don't literally have to stop and think, okay, wait, second line. So I was here, and then I went over to here. And so that wasn't, if this is an F, then this is going to be a G, and then play a G. You can just say, I'm on F. I'm going to go one step higher than F, and then play that note. Yeah. Um, because the, the point that Adam's making for people that have never played or looked at a piano before is if you, like C position and G position are, if you're just using your five finger position, meaning I can play it with my five fingers on my hand, um, you just find G and then you can move up and down. But mm-hmm. if you're reading something from C position, and you move your hand to G, as long as your hand is in the right position, you could just read the intervals instead of the note names. And so that's like piano's cheat code to transposition of, yeah, I'm just going to read steps instead of trying to read note names. Well, and that's just kind of, that's how you read music once you get to a given point. At any, like any of us, if we're reading sheet music, we're not thinking C, D, G, F. E C G, we're we're thinking about just like visual to muscle memory, which has more to do with like lines and spaces moving up and down mm-hmm. than it does with letter names. See, I don't, I don't know. That's that's a hard one for me to say that I'm not doing. I'm definitely not mm-hmm. yelling like E flat when I play E flat in my head. But there is some sort of connection that I've built of here's where this is. That I think on tuba feels different than it does on piano. Piano, I can physically just move my hand up and down, whereas, like if you were playing, I guess saxophone, you do, you can kind well, of. This do could that be another a, brass versus woodwind thing, because in my yeah. head, when I look at sheet music for saxophone, in my head, if I do, you know, you get to the point where it's it's all autopilot. You just play. But if I mm. were to like slow down for half a second and think about 
how what's on the page relates to what I'm doing to make a sound. It's it's the buttons I'm pushing down and not the name of the note. So right. I see a note head and I think, okay, that's six fingers and a pinky instead right. of that's an E flat, if that makes sense. So like, but that is different than brass because in brass you have to audiate it. So you have to think about the note that you're playing. Yeah, but th- then there's also uh, saxophone, you know, until you hit uh, the C, C sharp going to D, um, you can move, you know, if you were playing like, let's say um, D to D. You until just lift you lift a note as the notes go up on the stuff. Right, staff. so exactly. that you could go up and down along with the music, just like the piano does of just mm-hmm. reading intervallically. Whereas with a brass instrument, um, the fingers do not correspond to what's happening on the page. And then at some point you're going to hit a partial that you have to change something you're doing with your mouth. And so, um, yeah, but even, even with that, I don't know that, um, a note naming crutch helps, helps you figure that out necessarily. Um, and kind of like, well, Seth, what do you think about the rhythm thing? About the rhythm thing, you see that that's I guess I have less of an opinion about that just because um, the the way that I teach, whether it's recorder, whether it's trumpet, whether it's tuba, clarinet, whatever, is that as we are sight reading and working on developing that skill, like the kids that I teach, I do teach rhythm independently, and they understand the rhythm tree how we count it, why we're counting it this way at the moment, and they could, you know, to a degree, reapply those concepts. If I change something on them to, like, 3-8, they could understand, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to count eighth notes now. There should be three of them. Um, but so since I've kind of covered here's how rhythm goes, that when we get into pitch, it's more about... Um, Like when I'm saying my note names, I'm saying it in the correct rhythm and just modeling that for them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't make the rhythm a separate step, even though they should be like, that should be a separate step. But basically I end up giving that to them by rote instead of forcing them to count that. So I don't know, I get, I guess for me, it's easier to rote teach the rhythm than it would be rote teach here's the note name or here's like reading the note names, even though I'm mm-hmm. also doing that to a degree. But with like saying the note names and moving fingers and other things, you can audiate and you can get them used to here's how my hand functions. And so I guess that's that's more the crutch that I use. Whereas instead of saying the rhythm, it's just like, yeah, just say it how I'm saying it. I guess my, my reason for asking you your opinion on that is where, where do y'all disagree? (laughs) Cause you both said that labeling letter names is no good, but that labeling rhythms is not that bad. Maybe I can lead you into a disagreement. I personally 
would discourage both. I don't know if I would outright forbid it, but I would discourage it. Um, well, and when it comes to... Uh, go ahead, Seth. Well, I was going to say, I... Like, to Adam's point, um, I think for piano, you can get away with it a lot, but I, I think on some level that writing note names in for a while can help you. And, like, yes, at some point you have to take the crutch away. You can't have that the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do think that note names are helpful. And I would prefer, like, to, I guess, you know, say that I want note names. I would rather students write in a note name than a fingering on mm-hmm. the idea that um, y- it's hard to understand what one two three one two three pinky sounds like, <laughs> but you could get in your head this is what E flat sounds like, mm-hmm. and so that you know you mean for literally like how to play something, like right your because go on the instrument, right because because mm-hmm. um, that like writing and fingering is a totally different thing for piano, also. right. <laughs> oh yeah i, I mean is. it it's the same as in you literally have to play show like, them where to put this, your fingers right yeah. um but it's but for piano it's rarely to make this noise come out it is right to make it so that you can play this entire phrase without having to stop or move your hand right well, and yeah so, and it's slightly different like because it would say like one through five above the yeah. note which doesn't inherently tell you what you're pressing on the keyboard Right, yeah. You, Although, you just figure it out. Sometimes, in sometimes people will get confused by that. I, I don't remember exactly what the circumstance was. Oh, I had somebody who just didn't realize he wasn't reading the notes well enough. He was following the finger numbers, and so he wasn't moving his hand. And he would get to a spot where his hand was supposed to have moved, and he just kept his hand in the same spot and kept playing the wrong mm-hmm. notes with the fingers that it said to. And he's like, I don't understand why it didn't sound right. And I was like, Well, because you're looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, so in a situation... The fingers tell you how to play a note, but you're not going to know what to play unless you look at the note on the lines and the spaces. Mm -hmm. Right, and so a situation like that, I think that you can, instead of writing in, here's every single note, that writing in the anchor position of, okay, we were, you know, first line of this, the first phrase, first four measures, we were in... C position, but now we're moving to G position. And so mm-hmm. you know, okay, my right hand thumb was on C, now it's got to move to D. Yeah, and but... I like I like notating places where students are going to move their hands. I'll put like a star or like a I'll like I'll cr- draw a line through the measure or something like that. Uh one of the printed things that I printed out for a student that I didn't write myself. Um the finger numbers that were normal, like where your hand was, were just like just numbers. But if your fingers had to move, it was a number inside of a circle. Mm. But you showed that showed that that was a, a movement, a right, new spot for that finger. Even even when they are moving positions, you're still against like giving them an anchor note of, like okay, here's the pinky note or here's the like thumb note that you need to make your. Th- sure your thumb is on you just want them to know okay i should what read the music to the point that i so that if i was moving from c position to g position like at the mm-hmm. beginning of that phrase i might write g by the first note if it started on 
the thumb or if it started on the pinky i might write d some of this might just be the stuff that i use the books the like the sight reading books that i use to like help them get better at reading music before we like move on to like real songs and as we're doing real songs too most of those really like to stay contained within five fingers and so they don't have to move around very much until they get to like a song that they're learning well yeah if that makes sense yeah no i get that but i i guess um as they were approaching that point i guess I guess my thing was like I would write in the occasional note names and that was more the distinction I was making whereas it sounded like you were saying to the best of our ability let's avoid that and I was saying I have okay. not erased any note names that somebody's written in unless they were wrong <laughs> in which case I probably would have erased them I haven't erased anybody's there. I have one student. He's in, he's a, he's like a freshman in high school and he wrote in almost every single note name next to the notes. And I did not erase that or chew them out for it. And I was given a sainthood by the Pope. I'm curious uh, no, if I'm you kidding. have a student that's writing in all their note names, is there a point where you say, Hey, we, we've got to stop doing that. We'll go slow, but you've got to, we've got to do this piece without writing in note names or is there, do you think maybe we're going to go in a direction other than reading off the page? Maybe we're going to go by ear or something. Or do you just stay happy with them writing in the note names if they can play it? Yeah. Well, this is the first semester that he's really worked on a song with me. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that we're just trying to get to our performance at the end of the semester. And so for right now, hey, we got to, you know, you have to perform something in a month. Whatever works, works. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not super worried about it for this this song. Um, I would like to continue getting him better at, at reading. Or if he just truly does not want to read the music, then, yeah, finding a different way that we can learn music and stuff like that. So, so ideally, you're not going to stay that way forever, right? No, no, I, I definitely don't want him to stay that way forever. I just haven't erased it because he's not super strong at reading music and he really wants to perform this song. And so rather mm-hmm. than like trying to set him backwards by saying, I mean, not set him backwards permanently in the long run, it would be a good thing, but because he really wants to perform this song and he knows it as it is, I'm not going to change it right now, mm-hmm. but in the future, I, yes, I would like to get him to be a stronger reader. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, we've talked about a lot of, uh, physical instruments, Mm-hmm. But we haven't discussed spiritual instruments. Right. So that with the voice, the question is, would you... The voice is still a physical instrument. What do you mean? It's the most physical instrument. Well, a different kind of physical. Material? Material instruments versus physical? I don't know. Uh, Organic? Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Ah, the human voice, the fleshiest of all instruments. But would you, as a vocalist, is there any point in writing in note names? No. Not for me. I don't have perfect pitch. I had barely good relative pitch. So, I, like I if, think... I, if I'm singing a C and I see a G written in, like, is writing in G going to help me to sing a fourth better than, like, seeing the fourth on the page? Probably not. No, but I I think that, you know, reading note names is not reading music. Um, There is more to it, which you're bringing up. It can be. Let's not. Let's not. Um, But there is, 
Um, I think I think there's value in being able to see a note and get the note name. And so I was asking about vocal music because it seems the most slippery slope of well, why would it? The music went up and down. Why would I ever learn what notes those are? If somebody just plays me something and I just match that key. Is this a hypothetical or has every singer you've known said this? No, this was just hypothetical. Oh, because every singer I've known has said it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, most of the ones I've taught, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, singers, we love you too. Not I've taught. Ones that came to me from being taught by other people. No, I mean, maybe it's just because I, I was a piano player first, and so, like, my ability to read music was pretty good, but I never wrote, needed to write note names into my music, my vocal music, because I could see what the notes were doing on the page. Knowing the letter name wasn't going to help me. If I saw a fourth on the staff, I knew that I needed to sing a fourth down, you know? Yeah, I, I and guess there's my so many fear... other more useful things to write in on vocal music. My, my I mean... <laughs> like pronunciation and stuff. Yes, but my fear would be if they if you had a singer who never learned to read the music that then if they were singing a solo with piano and they needed to ask a question about the piano part that they might not have the wherewithal to actually ask that question because they don't know what that note name is. I mean, if you're saying that writing a note name in for a vocalist is better than not being able to read music at all, then yes, I would agree with you. Then I think I've won. (laughs) I don't think you have, because I don't feel like you clarified at the beginning that this vocalist was incapable of reading music. (laughs) (laughs) I assume we were talking about, like, an average, somewhat trained vocalist. No, this is a very specific person that Seth has in mind. Yeah, like, then yes, if they're playing with an accompanist, and you know the part, and they're like, yeah, you know the part where I go, uh, and the vocalist has, I mean, the pianist has to, like, fish around for it, then yes, it would be helpful to know that, uh, was a G. But otherwise, they could probably go with the lyrics, they could probably specify a part of the song. Like, there's a lot of methods that they can get a pianist to understand. I, I assume that they're, they're singing about. Gregorian chant with a, a <laughs> brand new piano part. <laughs> so, you know, you know, then they're having to throw out, like, you know, the fifth part of the. Uh, like, <laughs> do you mean the C? I don't know. I don't know how to read notes because I was taught by Adam. Does anyone have any any other points to make? I don't think so. I think I won just because Seth used a bad example at the end. I don't know who won. I've really Uh, lost track of this whole discussion. Yeah, I feel like we got kind of... I don't even know what the original question was. The original question was... Oh, crutches, crutches, crutches. Yeah. To what degree do we approve, disapprove of crutches? And then my specific ones I asked about were letter names and rhythm. And I I... I think, Adam, you said no letter names, rhythm, yes. Seth, you said letter names are okay sometimes. Yeah, I would say it's all okay. Seth's argument was like on shampoo bottles, where it says like (laughs) seven times more volume. And then you look at the asterisk (laughs) on the back, it's like compared to washing with just water. It's like, well, then, yeah, any amount of shampoo is going to help. 
are you only using shampoo for the volume? Because there's lots of other reasons we should be using. <laughs> I only wash with conditioner anyway. Um, no, it that's, was. That's not that's not a joke, Olivia. That's what I do. Oh, that's no, how I got it so curly. No, I was just saying that there should be note names, and I was a little. I was more open to having those crutches in there longer, and it sounded like Adam was in there for, you know, if we got to have them in the short term, sure, but it better be real short. Otherwise, I'm pulling out the ruler and busting knuckles. I've never busted knuckles. I've busted chops. I've never busted knuckles. Now, is that just because you didn't (laughs) hit hard enough to break skin, or? (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't know. I'm torn because Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. it flip-flopped like three times. I mean, it is funny that the point hound <laughs> showed well, up see, twice. I feel really bad because I don't know if... I think Seth. I think yes. Seth is who I agreed with more, but it was Whatever. hard to keep track. Whatever. <laughs> I think it... I think. But again, I might listen back to this episode and completely disagree with myself. I just... It was hard to keep track. I just thought his justification of when you would use which crutches... Or a little more thorough. I guess. What's yes. my reasoning? Yes. <laughs> you should just never use it. You should just be a good musician. Well, you said you could write in letter names. <laughs> you stop. You're the one who said it. I didn't it. say that. Oh, you he said, said rhythms. That... I'm sorry. And rhythms are yeah. the ones that I am a hard no on. But I, I kept an open mind. Yeah, yeah, But you sure. never really justified it sure. to me. So my open mind did close a little bit. So this last question is tailor-made for the two of you. I think it would be funny if you argued the opposite side, but I'm not going to demand that. The the Plus, opposite side that we then what we already hold. Yes, I think that would be funny, but that might be impossible for the two yeah. of you. I don't know, because um, I already know your opinions. Question number six: How do you notate a key signature for a mode? Do you go with Seth's method, and you base it off the key signature? of the scale degree one if you want to think of it like that because the way seth and i learn modes it's like if it's d dorian you're playing c major on scale degree two and the key signature would be like no sharps or flats but it's based around the pitch d or adam your way is that they are major or minor modes so do you assign it for example d dorian is a minor mode is it the d minor key signature and then you use accidentals for any variants? I have the what solution. What is the appropriate way? That's just to not use modes. <laughs> That's not the correct answer. Ban modes. That is not an answer. Okay, fine. Seth, you go first. To me, yeah, you know, my position is you need the key signature to help give you as many accidentals as you need. But this is where being a good analyst, a good musician comes in. You should be able to look at the music and say, okay, I might be in the major mode here, but, and by major mode, I mean Ionian, um, that if you shift to a Dorian mode or something else that you know what you're doing, it's more about you understanding where the tonal center is, not okay, I see one sharp, I must be playing a G major. I don't disagree with you that you should be able to figure it out, but how would you write it? I would, like, if I'm playing um, E Phrygian, I'm still writing Mm -hmm. a C major key signature. 
No sharps or flats for E Phrygian. Right. Yes. Okay. What would you do, Adam? E Phrygian. Because you could go no sharps or flats, or you could go one sharp, and then you would just put an accidental. And the one sharp shows you that you're in a minor key because that's the key signature for E minor. By minor key, I mean minor mode. You could even write one sharp and then a natural sign right after it. Oh, <laughs> yes, you could sign- invent a new key signature. <laughs> uh, probably for E Phrygian, I'd go no sharps and flats, I think. So, I don't think putting I would aside go, I don't for a second I would... that I can't award a winner, you have conceded that the correct way to come up with modes no. is that it's based on scale degree one. No. Which, for E Phrygian... It's all back to C, because Phrygian is based on scale degree three, which is E, in the key of C. So the key signature comes from C. So l- let's I say... I have not conceded that. So let's say you were playing... I'm saying it's have. convenient if you write it down without a sharper flat, because there isn't one. Because it all goes back to the key of C. Because there aren't any sharps and flats, which happens to be the key of C. Not happens is because that's how modes work. <laughs> because it doesn't matter what key signature you put it in if there's no sharps and flats. Like if you're just So in in that instance though because you learned that I might I might feel differently in other examples. Modes. I'm saying that for E Phrygian I would not use a sharp Okay, flat. so Okay. <laughs> it's going to be like that for everything though. I was going to say D Dorian. I was like no, that's a that's a silly I also example. wouldn't use any sharps or flats. How about G flat? Uh, don't do Lydian. Is not G flat. No, don't do that. Okay, fine. How about G uh-huh. Lydian? G Lydian. Because I have my answer. Because I thought down to what scale degree one is. <laughs> I put you put two sharps. Wait, right. hold up. Mm-hmm. What you what did you ask? Because G Lydian has an F sharp and a C sharp. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. G. Lydian is scale degree four, G is oh. scale degree four, and the key of D major. D not, major has two sharps and flats. Not G flat. Now, anymore. see, the way that you said Got it you. is more confusing than the way I said it, where I said, <laughs> oh, G Lydian has an like, F sharp and a C sharp. You had to do all this math and rotation and say a bunch more letter names than I did. I just said, oh, C sharp. I came sharp. up with it first, though. <laughs> My way is not hard. I came up with it first. Because, no, you said it out loud first. Now, when she did say, like, G-flat Lydian, I mean, Adam, I was going to have to do some work on that one. Yeah, so Five flats. That. Come on, guys. <laughs> That's six flats, isn't it? No, G-flat major but... is six flats. G-flat right. Lydian is five flats. Sure. Yes. You know why? Because G-flat is scale degree four in the key of D-flat major, which has five flats. No, because it has yeah. a raised fourth. So you're going to take away one of the flats because you raised it. That that one was so much easier than your way. It's not though. I had I to mean, memorize much less. It it was it was easier only because I, I had to count. memorize much less. Mm-mm. I know that Lydian means sharp four. That's all I had to memorize. Well, I also know that Lydian means sharp. I don't have four. to memorize three. I don't have to get there through three different keys or whatever it is you're doing. Okay, so. Adam, here's my question. Yeah. That if you were I also playing... I, I did want to point out that in the twentieth century they, they experimented with combining modes and writing weird key signatures that didn't really exist, and I have no beef with doing that either. So it well, I mean, we should also understand that 
some of the key signatures are like Western European constructs that doesn't necessarily describe all music everywhere. So there's that too. Um, but with that aside, Adam, if you were playing like a jazz piece, mm-hmm. you're in B flat. Great. That's two flats. I <laughs> I agree. Um, <laughs> but then you get to the solo section and the solo needs to be in like C Dorian. So the question is, would you change something to the key signature when you got to that section? No, I would just write a bunch of naturals. Would you? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just write an A flat. What are you doing? You wouldn't change anything, my guy. I don't know. C Dorian. Dorian is scale degree two. C is scale degree two in the key of B flat. As a raised sixth, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But C Dorian is based on on minor ish, so. Well, so just real quick, you went exactly the direction I was going to ask you. You think of modes as major and minor. That's how you. Yeah, which I know is not. Which I know is not. Taxon, taxonom, the t- the taxonomy, the the construction of them. That's not true, but I think it's useful to just help memorize them and understand what they sound like. But, I think it's helpful. I, I mean, think it's helpful it's in also, like an ear training way. It's a it's a common description. It's not that people are. It's not that you're the only one that does that. People yeah. right. categorize no, the modes largely as major minor. because yeah, I I do that because somebody else taught me that. Exactly. And so my my second alternative there, like, what are your thoughts in terms of you would use the appropriate major or minor key signature to guide based the performer on the to here's the, root of the tonal center. Right. Okay. Which yeah. is which is and so what we'll, I was we'll answering say C and Dor- you were trying to trap me with? No, you agreed with Seth. Um just to see Dorian, we'll use that as an example. Um we all based on the answers that we've given so far, we all agree that we would write C Dorian with a key signature of B flat and E flat. Right? That's what or, Seth said. That's also what you said first. I mean, if it started in C that? minor and then it went to C Dorian, I wouldn't change it. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of what I was going to say is like, if you were then just straight just up just writing a, a passage on the page that is just C Dorian, there's no other keys there. It's just what's on the page is only going to be C Dorian. I would probably still write it with. Would it be helpful to? Okay, so that was my other. That's the only other kind of I think legit way to assign a key signature is to show that hey we're in we're in a minor mode. Right, but also I think that if your if your center is going to be on C, then using a key signature that three flats or it should be no sharps or flats. Right, that shows you that you're going to have like a tonal center on C. Even if you write a natural through the entirety of the piece to make a Dorian. I think that that yeah. showing it may it would make more if I saw two flats and then it just stayed on C the whole time, I would be a lot more confused than if I saw three flats with an A natural all over the place. So what's your final verdict? Because those are the two options I threw out originally. Was you could do it based off of what's actually in the mode, or you could do it based off of like major or minor. In which case, if you do the major or minor, you do. Well, I I was trying to say that it was. It was contextual. I don't. I don't have like a okay. hard answer because this is different. This is different from what I answered about E Phrygian, mm-hmm. right? But E Phrygian in in Phryg- e Phrygian, you said you would go with like literally what the notes are, 
in right. the mode. And maybe you that's wouldn't. just a personal thing, but having no sharps or flats and centered around E wouldn't bother me. Okay. Having two flats and centering around C wouldn't bother me. So right, it but I, on the mode. Yeah, but I guess for not just the, the mode. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I guess for the performer, I'm saying that what you're saying now of if I look at it, there's two flats and C is the note that I keep coming back to. I have a bunch of B flats that then step right back up to C and other things, or I have a lot of C and G relationships that I would understand, oh, this looks a lot like C Dorian. C seems to be the primary thing that we're centered around. Mm -hmm. But looking at the key signature, I would be expecting G minor or B flat major. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, I would eventually, like, I would figure it out. I would realize what was happening. But I would still rather it just start off being written with a key signature showing tonality around C. Right. And that's what Livy was presenting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But But it depends on the mode. Right. For which because one for whatever reason, thinking about no sharps or flat centered on E just doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I think there's a different. I think it it depends on the number of accidentals that you need. Because taking away one sharp probably doesn't change my mind very much. But having two wrong, flats, but I think that I for everything all the way through Mixolydian, you would only use one accidental could be wrong but i think so and then locrian i just don't i didn't even think about locrian because it's different but for mixolydian you would only add in one accidental on the seventh right so let's see like g mixolydian you would add in dorian you raise the sixth right phrygian you lower the second mm-hmm. uh, mixolydian you it would raise be a major key signature i say right. in quotations mark and you would Use an accidental to lower the seventh. Wait, are you guys trying no, to figure Lydian, out my way of doing it off? Okay. Lydian, you raise the. If fourth. you used a major or minor Mixolydian, key signature, yeah. You lower the seventh. There's two. There's two minors and oh, okay. two majors. Yeah. Right. I was and just talking about the number minor, of accidentals that you would have to use as you actually wrote the music. I think that you would only use one accidental per mode. Right. It would. Yeah. It would be like less than what you have to do. Except for Locrian, yeah, I was saying all the way up to that because Locrian is just different. Yeah, yeah, but assuming um, you have things written in both harmonic and melodic minor, it would be less accidentals than those. But for example, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of another example now. Where Livy and I aren't right. Go ahead. Well, you I said feel that like Phrygian. For... You didn't love what about Lydian? So well, that's, I'm trying to think about Mixolydian, like G Mixolydian. Do you feel better having I've, a G major key signature and an accidental on F, or do you feel better having no sharps and flats? And it's I think I can go G? either way, honestly. Mixolydian, to me, is more intuitive both ways because we are so used to seeing dominance. Right. That In my head, I'm like, oh, that's just a flat seven because flat sevens are so common, whereas if I'm seeing a sharp four, I'm like, what the heck? What key are we in? Sharp four. And I have to, like, get in modal gear. To really see it for what it is. Yeah, if I was in if I was in G Lydian, mm-hmm. I would only want one sharp, an accidental for C sharp. Now I will say, if so, you're still going with the appropriate major minor key signature and add an accidental. 
Right, but if I was in G Mixolydian, I could go either way because that's a lot of natural. So far, the only one that note. you specifically don't want that way is the um, Phrygian one. That's yeah. kind of funny. So the Adam hasn't brought it up, but the one where I think he's got a real home run of an argument would be if you had to do uh, oral dictation or melodic dictation, and. Mm-hmm. If you had two flats and then you started playing a D Phrygian melody would be mind blown, like would not know mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, however, if you put. Um, and, that's, and that's part of why I like thinking about it as alterations of major or minor, because it sort of explains to you like what the differences in function and what the differences in sound are going to be. Right. And so that if we were doing something in D Phrygian and I had a D minor key signature, that then at least I have a good idea of what I'm listening for. I'm listening for that minor melody. And then when I hear Ray that's lowered, I would be like, oh, hold up. Mm-hmm. I can I can kind of work with that instead of, thinking B flat and like, why do we keep ending on me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a bad point. Um, Seth, can you think of any advantages to doing uh, the key signature that just comes straight from the notes that are in the mode where that might be beneficial or easier? Um, again, the, the key signatures I think are kind of superficial so that mm-hmm. it's, it's all about helping you understand what the sharps and flats are. You have to be a good enough musician and analyst to look at something and get to the bottom of, okay, you know, there might be uh, four flats, but I'm centered around C like Mm -hmm. that. That's what it is instead of, okay, there's four flats. I must be an a flat. Ah." Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's more where I'm at, but I think the tonal center is a valid argument. I just, I think for ease of looking at it, that you need that. That just put the key signature with the accidentals that you need. Mm-hmm. Let me wait. Let me think of another Phrygian one that doesn't start on. I think part of it is like, part of it could just be all the all white keys. Like E Phrygian is all white mm-hmm. keys. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be thinking about whether or not I should be playing a black key or not. Like, if it's just going to mm-hmm. be all white keys, just give me all white keys. I don't mean, put an do accidental on my key signature, right? Do you want F Phrygian? But, like, F Phrygian. Yeah, F right Phrygian, I'd want the key signature. So you would want it to be. I'd want the key signature. I want the F minor key signature, and then I'd want G flats written in. Gotcha. Absolutely. E Phrygian is just because it's white keys. So if you mm. gave me D Dorian or E Phrygian or like F Lydian, all white keys, sure. I don't need the key signature there. It's just all the white keys. What about and B? And that's sort of that's sort of that's sort of like a <clears throat> just a, a piano bias, right? Yeah. Right, but generally speaking, you're all for major minor key signatures. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. This one's hard to judge because Seth, you made a really good point for Adam. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm a bad opponent, you know. But yeah, like it's it's easier to sing. It's easier to think about it that way for me. Well, now, sing, I don't know. But hearing, 
would have my mind being blown. Because <laughs> that's what happened at the beginning of Oral Skills 3. Mm-hmm. Our professor was playing some, like, um, Lydian mode. And I was like, can you play Tonic? And he was like, no. I was like, uh, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, I gotta award the point to Adam. <laughs> Seth, you, you did, you helped him, but I, I was, he was already headed in that direction of the... Yeah, I thought it's more intuitive had... to read it that way and understand what is wanted when you do a major minor key signature. Yeah. However, it's still not the easiest way to figure out the modes. Whatever. Still. But congrats, Adam. You've won. Thank you. I'm thrilled. So what's the current count on Let's Argues? Libby has two and I have two? And I have one... Have I won one? I'm not sure. Because when we did our tiebreaker one, I won. But it was a tiebreaker between the losers, which meant that it went Livy, two, me, one, you, zero. Is this the first one we've done since then? This is number five, right? I think so, yeah. We did Conspira Theories. Uh Uh-huh. Pedagogy. Pedagogy, Reddit. And then Reddit, Land After College, this one. Oh, yeah, and you led the Land After College one, Seth. So you have not won. Oh, Seth led it, and we did it, yeah. Yeah, I've never won. So is it Livy 3, Me 2? Yeah. Yeah, it must be. I don't remember which ones. You won Land After College, I know that. And then I beat Seth. Yep. On the Reddit one. Yeah. So it's just two. Okay. All right. Um, All right, well, thank you. Wait, no, and then I won this one. So I'm winning overall. This is three. (laughs) And it's three in a row. Adam, you have to be the next host. The run back. <laughs> All right. But what matters most is, do you guys think that Adam should have been the listener? So if you haven't, go ahead, join our Discord. I'm going to start trying to post weekly to the Twitter at T- TTBI pod and to the Facebook page, uh, the Discord, so that you can join it. The link is only good for seven days, so eventually it expires. And you can make, no, we can make an infinite one. Okay. Then we'll do that and we'll post it and probably pin our tweet to the top of the page and other things like that. And so, please join it because there's only two people in it right now and they don't ever talk. I think it's just because it's too weird and lonely. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, join that. And if you guys want to email us at the theory behind it at interludepodcast.com, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can reach out to any of us personally, uh, Facebook or Twitter. I think. I guess we're all more active on Twitter at this point, or... Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah so... DM me on Twitter. Or, I mean, if we're being real, most of y'all know us personally, so just text us. It's true. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Very nice. <laughs>